0: The man who founded Comedy Central is here, and we'll talk about it on this episode of the Mind Dog TV Podcast. Welcome, my friends, to yet another episode of the Mind Dog TV Podcast. I'm Matt Napo. Thanks for coming. It's great to have you here, as always, to find ready indeed. Uh, just having a little chat with my guests in the in the uh, green room, as they as they call it, I guess, the digital green room, uh, and uh, noticed it was showtime. Hit the button and go. Anyway, we're glad to have you here tonight. We're going to be talking about Comedy Central and... The man who founded it is here to talk about his book. It's called Constant Comedy, How I Started Comedy Central and Lost My Sense of Humor. Before I bring him in, I need to quickly talk about our sponsors tonight. Uh, Audiobooks Now is our sponsors, uh, is our sponsor tonight. Audiobooksnow.com. And you know about the convenience of audiobooks and uh unfortunately i don't think my my guest book is out in audiobook form tonight maybe we can pitch to him to have me read the book <laughs> not after this reading uh anyway audiobooks now uh what what what's the point about audiobooks now you can get audiobooks just about anywhere now you can get them all over the web what makes audiobooks now the choice well price club Price point, price point, price point. Uh, audiobooks now cl- club pricing plan is simply the best deal on audiobooks you'll find. No, you definitely don't want me reading your audiobook. It offers the savings and flexibility not found anywhere else. With our save on everything discounts, rollovers, exclusive offers, loyalty program, incredible selection, and cancel anytime policy. It simply cannot be beat. Plus, get a free premium audiobook on select titles. Uh, start your 30 day free trial right now at 4.99 a month. At- it's absolutely free for the first month. Uh, if you don't like it anytime, time, you just cancel and you won't be billed a penny. Audiobooksnow.com. It's a great deal. Uh, even without the club pricing plan, they're far less expensive than any other audiobooks provider uh, on the web. Uh, saving great deals. And with that four ninety nine dollars uh, price club plan, you're going to save even further. Check it out. Uh, it's a great deal. Start today. Absolutely free to try. And you can, you can, listen to a lot of audiobooks in a month, folks. So that $4.99 a a month deal is a great deal. do appreciate you patronizing our sponsors. Now, on to the big program. As I mentioned, we're going to talk to the man who actually founded Comedy Central, and uh, it's a, a very interesting story. He's written a book about it. Art Bell, not to be confused with the paranormal Art Bell. Art Bell is a former media executive best known for creating and building hbo's the comedy channel which went on to become comedy central after comedy central uh he became the president of court tv and was the guiding force behind one of the most successful brand evolutions in cable television ladies and gentlemen please open your ears open your minds and help me welcome in art belt and mind dog tv podcast all right welcome
1: thanks Matt. great to be here
0: it's great to have you here so um we're talking about hbo and the comedy what was the comedy channel on hbo uh i don't i don't quite remember that po- portion of it. what year what what, what period are we talking we're about? talking about 1989 89 okay yeah. um i was about 29 years old then i'm trying to think where i was because i i know in the book we start out with um well, we start out with the Russian Tea Room, but uh, when you're pitching Comedy Central, the idea for Comedy Central, to me, it seemed like a, a no brainer, like MTV's happening. Everything's uh, there are a lot of channels that are specific to one thing and are doing very well. Seems like a no brainer, but you were met with a lot of resistance in the beginning. Why do you think that was?
1: Well, I, you know what? I was as surprised as anybody else when I came out of school that nobody had started an all-comedy network. I loved comedy from the time I was a kid, but when I would bring it up, people would people would kind of dismiss it and say, "Look, it's expensive. There's lots of comedy on television. You know, it's it, it wasn't really considered a thing like music because I'd always say, "Hey, there's MTV. It's all music. There's ESPN. It's all sports," and they'd say, "No, no, no. comedy doesn't work that way." Um, now when I specifically pitched it to the head of programming at HBO, which I, and I tell that story in my book, that was crazy because she didn't even let me get the idea out before she said, that is the worst idea I've ever heard. (laughs) Yeah, I know that was bad. And she said, you know what? You're never going to get any comedians to go on that, on that channel. Why would anyone want to watch 24 hours a day of comedy? And there's plenty of comedy on the dial anyway. So forget about it. And she sent me packing.
0: Did you have uh, even have any gumption to kind of uh, to argue your point to say, well, listen, nobody thought music would m- 24 hours of 24 seven of music would be uh, something people would watch either. But MTV proved the whole world wrong on that. Did you have any kind of inclination to, to say, uh, I got to make my case here? on this?
1: Well, let me set this up a little bit more, Matt. I was a junior person at HBO. I'd been there for a couple of years. The person I was pitching was the head of programming. She was considered some kind of a genius. HBO was incredibly successful. If I ran into her in the elevator, I'd break into a cold sweat. She was so far above me. It was incredible. The fact that she said, okay, I'll see you make an appointment was remarkable. So when I got in there and she said, stop right there, first of all, she didn't give me a whole lot of opening to say, you know, oh, um, just let me point out a couple of things that may prove you the genius at hbo wrong so yeah. i mean you know I, I it just wasn't the right place to argue
0: you know why i uh, why I, that's uh for me personally uh, i've had some dealings i used to work for chuck dolan who you know was the guy who had chuck the dolan? Original, Did you? Yeah, yeah oh and my
1: I, gosh we not probably know all the same people
0: and he responded well to uh, I mean when I worked for, for Cablevision at that time in the in the mid to late 90s um he, they responded very well to people who were not yes men and coming in and telling people who were uh the geniuses they were doing things wrong and for me every time I did that it ended up in a promotion I never got to the to the level you were at where uh you know somebody would drag me into to the CEO's office but uh I I found out you know, telling senior vice presidents and and junior vice presidents, they didn't know uh, right from wrong. Every time I did that, they responded with, "Oh, this guy knows what he's talking about," uh, and uh, maybe by that time. Um, it had grown way too big to, to kind of uh, manage. And there were like 800 vice presidents at that point in the Cablevision Corporation of everything they own. So things were changing quickly. Uh, but So I, I appreciate, though, that you, you felt a little intimidated. I,
1: I did my share of going up against um, the senior VPs around that time as well. The problem was I had no credibility in programming. So if I was talking business to somebody who was, you know, on the business side, that was easy for me to go up against them because I had some background. I had some credibility. I was not in programming. As a matter of fact, I was so far away from programming. It was unbelievable. So the whole idea that a non-programming guy with no credibility at all walked in and tried to sell this thing. I mean, first of all, I was scared walking in. I'm not usually scared. I wasn't usually scared in those days. This woman scared me. I'm sorry. That's just, The way it was, I think I did the right thing by backing off, by the way.
0: Yeah, no, (laughs) it it would have
1: gotten ugly if I hadn't.
0: And not, not only that, you might not have been there for when the actual opportunity opened its door, which was a, kind of a surprise to you, too. So I want to let you tell that story. But, uh, you know, uh, and I forget his last name. I know his his first name is Larry, who kind of just dra- dragged you and said, come on, let's go. You're going to go talk to the big cheese. Uh, that had to be an intimidating moment after you've had that uh, in- encounter trying to sell it in the first place and got shot down immediately. Right. right.
1: That was a crazy moment moment what happened is Larry walked by he was my boss's boss and at the time I was working on this comedy thing for my own you know account because I figured I was out of a job the project I'd been working on went down it was a failure it was a, a pay t- television channel called Festival it was a channel with no sex violence or bad language I know it's laughable right and you know the, they, and they the turned thing the is, comedy channel down. Right, right?
0: <laughs> yeah, comedy. Nah, that won't work. But a, tel- a television show with no- with nothing that people want. That's
1: <laughs> you know what it's worth. It's worth a little you know a little conversation about this because it was very interesting. This was new business development. They asked me to you know to come into new business development and help them check out this channel. And the reason they wanted this channel to be around was because. People who didn't take HBO, the reason they said they didn't take it was because we had too much sex violence and bad language. Remember, HBO was the place you could see uncut movies, uncut comedy. So it was, you know, considered pretty raw stuff in those days. And there were religious people, people with kids, didn't want it in their home. They said, okay, great, we'll just make a new channel like HBO, no sex violence and bad language. So I get hired, and the first day I walk in, I said to my boss, no sex violence and bad language. How the hell is this going to work? Yeah. And she said, "Shh." <laughs> and in fact, it didn't because you can't sell an entertainment product by saying, hey, watch this. Here's what it doesn't have. <laughs> you know,
0: Right, right. Yeah. Nobody
1: buys that kind of stuff. Anyway, that that thing had gone down. I had to find a new job. So I was writing this comedy idea up, including financials and programming and everything I knew about it, because i had been thinking about it for years at this point. Um, and I was going to staple it to my resume, send it out get a new job. So Larry walks by, he's my boss's boss. He looks in, he sees me working. He said, what are you working on? You don't have a job. And I said, well, you know, I'm writing up this idea I had. And he says, let me see. So I let him see. And he says, wow, this looks pretty cool. I think we should go see Michael Fuchs, the chairman of HBO. (laughs) And I said, great, thinking, you know, why not? And he said, right now. And I said, wait, whoa, whoa, right now? I had no presentation. I had no idea of what I could possibly say. I had you know, really no prep time. And again, Michael Fuchs, let me set this one up for you.
0: I know, I know.
1: <laughs> he had just been named by the New York Times. He must have been in the business by then. He was just named by the New York Times the most powerful man in Hollywood. Okay? I Think remember that. that. I remember right. that clearly. So I'm being dragged into his office with no appointment, which to me is, you know, like a guy who follows the rules. It's like, don't we need an appointment here or something? And – uh <laughs> He said, nah, come on in, we'll just go in. So we went in, and Michael looks at him and goes, the hell do you guys want, you know? <laughs> and Larry said, no, Art's got something he wants to talk to you about. It's a very good idea. I think you ought to listen to him. So I pitched my little heart out, and I think I got away with it. First of all, Michael listened. He didn't cut me off. He loved comedy, so when I said comedy, he, he stopped. Uh, and he asked some questions, and I think I was so passionate about it that I, I was able to hang in there. And I also sold him on my vision, which was, look, I said, Michael, if this thing is successful, we are going to be the center of the comedy universe in 10 years. And he kind of went, yeah, that could be cool. And he said, okay, let's uh, let's do some exploration. We'll do some research, make a tape, you know, uh, demo tape and see if this thing has any possibilities.
0: Wow. That's, uh- that's how it started. The demo tape, I'm curious about this because, you know, I mentioned in MTV. You mentioned MTV. Uh, when that started, it was much different than what it evolved to by 1989, by the time you are pitching uh, or, or uh, thinking about Comedy Central. Um, and so it evolved from this initial idea of just playing videos to adding shows and all this kind of stuff. Eventually, it wasn't even doesn't even seem like a music channel anymore but um your initial vision for comedy central was it was it the same as where 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 it is it's obviously not where it is today right but what what was your initial vision was it stand-up like live from clubs short clips what
1: i think my vision is kind of is what I said, the center of the comedy universe. I really wanted this to be a home for all kinds of comedy. We started, and this is how I, this is one of the ways I sold it in. I said, look, we can get all this comedy programming for free. The way MTV got all their music programming for free. We'll just go in and we'll take clips from movies all over the place. And from, you know, just the funny parts. And then we'll take clips from stand-up, We'll take clips from sitcoms. We'll take clips from old movies and new movies and the whole bit. And, Everybody said, Well, that sounds like a pretty good idea, but you gotta get the unions to clear that, you know? The writer's guild, the directors guild, they don't like you taking clips. As a matter of fact, you remember that movie it was called um That's Entertainment? Yeah, of course. And it had clips, right? Yeah. And you could watch that thing forever, right? Clips, right. great best parts of all these movies. That cost about a billion dollars to make because the unions charge a lot of money for clips. Wow. If you want to use a clip, you can't just go in there and clip it. So we said my big breakthrough here was we're going to do it on a promotional basis. And we're going to promote whatever movie or video or television show is currently available. And that's what we went to the studios with and we went to the unions with. And sure enough, it worked. They said, great, promotion. We love it. All everybody signed off on it, right? So I go back in there, right? And I start. And, and the reason I did this, I just want to be clear. Remember one of the big objections to a comedy network? Too expensive. Writers, right. comedy expensive. We don't have that kind of money to start a channel. This was free programming. And that was like, okay, we start there. We also had movies and other stuff. We start there. We could save a lot of money. Eight weeks before we launch. And we had just clipped everything in sight, right? We had these guys called the Cliptomaniacs, And they would just sit there watching movies and clipping out the funny parts, right? And so we had all this, all these clips ready to go. Eight weeks before the channel launches, we get a call. It's the Director's Guild. They had someone on the board change their mind.
0: Oh they said God. they didn't
1: want us to use it anymore. Boom, we're out of business. So I had to move to plan B. You know what plan B was?
0: No, I'm waiting to hear. <laughs> there was no
1: plan B. <laughs> it's eight weeks before the launch. We had all our programming just go down the tubes. So we came up with a plan B, and I, I won't explain how it happened, but we launched with a very small, very small amount of programming.
0: Um. Uh, were but you we fe- launched were you feeling cuz as a uh, and you're not you're not a mid-level executive you're you're a, a high-level executive but it, among the hierarchy there you're kind of Still small fish. But uh, as a junior vice president in, in that kind of situation, were you feeling like major pressure or because, you know, I guess personality was I would be I wouldn't be able to sleep at night. I would be thinking, you know what, I'm my my career, my whole life is depending on me making this a success. And there's every obstacle in the world that that is placing itself in front of me. What were you going through? It Man, I'm now?
1: glad you weren't my business coach at that point. <laughs> that's not helpful. Let me just yeah, say.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: no, I, I think that's a pretty good summary of what I was feeling uh, in that I had talked, basically talked HBO into this idea, which I was convinced was a good one. You know, a comedy network was going to show up one way or the other. Might as well be us. So that wasn't the problem. The problem was was I was faced with launching the channel now. And it wasn't just me at this point. There were probably 400 people working on this thing, right? And they had jobs and they had families and they had mortgages and kids and all nine yards and reputations. And I was not in a position to let this thing just fail by walking away and say, well, that didn't work, adios. I mean, and when I say reputation, at that point my reputation Compared to say Michael Fuchs's reputation, right, and yeah, his yeah. was on the line too. My reputation wasn't, you know, worth talking about. But I was—I really felt like it was uh, my responsibility to not screw this up.
0: And, and wasn't there? Uh, and I've been racking my memory trying to trying to remember. Wasn't there some other? Um, Outfit that was was poised to do poised to do a comedy channel of like a direct competition at that time.
1: Yeah, good memory. Um, you know what it was? We launched. We we announced that we were doing a comedy network. And remember, Michael Fuchs, the chairman, was very proud of it. And he had a gigantic press conference in Los Angeles. We all flew out. He's got comedians all over. I, I was sitting next to Billy Crystal. He's got. He gets up there and he says. HBO is, of course, the greatest television entity that ever existed. We are very smart. We know how to do television. We are launching an all-comedy network that is going to be so funny, the likes of which has never been seen, right? He (laughs) went on and on, and I'm like in the back going, you know, because (laughs) we didn't... didn't, Who knew what was going to happen, right? Michael was out there. I'm flying back on the plane. I get home. MTV Networks put out a press release the next day. We too are starting a comedy network and we're going to call it ha the comedy
0: network. Right. Okay.
1: So suddenly on top of all the other aggravation, I've got, I got, I got competition. On the other hand, I thought this was the good news. Six months ago, there were no comedy networks in the world. Suddenly there's going to be two. And I thought that's crazy. At least it validates the concept. Right. At least it validates the concept. But MTV had nothing. They had a press release, the paper it was written on, and they started figuring out what it was going to be. So
0: you People had have, a huge head start, and they recognized that.
1: Well, we, <laughs> I wouldn't say huge. We launched, and then uh, in November they launched six months later wow. on April first, and uh, we went head to head. So we, we were fighting each other.
0: So you didn't launch it? Because I, I know you've been doing the World Podcast tour, uh, and one of the other podcasters had promoted uh, and said uh, April Fool's Day is the 30th anniversary of Comedy Central's launch, and I thought, I, I don't remember it that way. So you're saying Ha launched on April 1st, but not yeah,
1: yeah, but, you know, okay, so we're jumping ahead a little bit, but, in fact, what happened was they merged us, Ha and the Comedy Channel. Oh, uh. And they said, okay, you're going to have to figure out a new programming lineup, a new channel, basically. You guys are going to have to work together. They put me together with the head of uh, Ha, said, you guys figure it out, and you got to rename the channel. So we renamed the channel. We relaunched the channel April 1st, 1991. We launched Comedy Central. That's why it's the 30th anniversary of Comedy Central.
0: Gotcha. Uh, Because I think it's important for people, especially the entrepreneurs out there, because I have a friend who calls me every time he gets a business idea, and I have to explain to him that, you know, it never is easy <laughs> as you sound when, when you just buy in guy idea, it sounds like a great idea. Uh, the idea was because New York state was legalizing marijuana. He wanted to get into the grow your own at home kit uh, to sell on. And I said, well, first of all, I don't think the reason people aren't growing it at home is because it's illegal because smoking, it's illegal and they're smoking it anyway. They're not growing it because it's hard to do and they don't want it. It's a lot of work and they don't want to do it. But a, a, a lot of, entrepreneurial ideas so uh, the idea the, the point i'm making here is anytime you have a great idea like you had a great idea and obviously it would to me again it was a no-brainer there are going to be some huge struggles with getting it off the ground so when you first launched uh what was the reception of it was it working out and and uh were you nervous about it? whether it was gonna uh succeed in, in sale or, or sink <laughs>
1: Well, to say the least, I, I, um, as I noted, we launched with Plan B, which was not very much programming. <laughs> right. And uh, that didn't work out so well. Um, we were lambasted by the press. And I think that a big reason of that was because Michael Fuchs had gone out there, you know, all Over-souled. cojones and saying, hey, man, this thing's going to be great. And he was the most powerful man in Hollywood, which makes him kind of a target, right? Right. And so they just said, okay, we're going to have a field day taking this apart. It's not funny. It's stupid. HBO falls flat on its face. Michael Fuchs does a belly flop. I mean, we heard everything from the press. Wow. Michael was not happy, by the way.
0: Wow, uh, and so what went into that original sizzle reel? Did any of that original sizzle reel, that demo tape that you made uh, for it, did any of that end up in when you launched? I mean, I'm trying to, because re- I don't have any memory of what the Comedy Channel looked like w- uh, on first launch. I, my memory kind of starts like 1995-ish around Comedy Central. Oh, you missed
1: all the good parts when yeah. we were starting out, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and I mean that. Those oh, were the really? crazy, crazy days. Like it was a crazy explosion of creativity as we tried to figure out stuff to put on this channel and how to make it, how to make sure it survived. And we didn't have a lot of money. You, you, the other reason you don't remember it is there was no audience. Right. You know, we had to get, you know, you worked at Cablevision. You had to get each one of those multiple system operators or the individual systems to say, okay, we're going to put it on. And in those days, they didn't have 500 channels. They right. had what 12, 20, 50 if you were lucky. Right. Right. And they didn't want two channels. So we launch on day one and we probably were in front of, I don't know, a million, million homes, a million out of 85 million homes. Think about that. Nobody was watching, which to me was like, okay, we got time here because nobody's watching. We can repeat a lot. We can figure out what we're doing and everything else, but the press didn't give us that time. You know, they just, they just creamed us.
0: Um, what was the first, the, or, or was there one big thing that, that turned it around and made it, uh, gave you confidence, well, this thing's really going to make it, you know, uh, kind of change, change the direction and you knew it was going to be a big success.
1: Well, yes. And it came very early. As a matter of fact, it came before we launched comedy channel. And that was, uh, an envelope that came in the mail and there was a letter in the envelope and it said, Hey, we hear you're launching a comedy channel. Is this something that you might be interested in? We put the tape in. It was Mystery Science Theater 3000. (laughs) These guys had been producing it for fun in Minneapolis at a UHF station. And obviously, they heard we were making a comedy channel. They figured this might be perfect for it. And it was. So we went out there and made a deal. But the point is, at that moment, I thought, okay, look, this is just what I pictured. Innovative programming is going to find us. And that's what it did. I said, mystery science theater 3000 was not about to go on NBC or CBS or HBO or anywhere on television. Right. Right. It was going to go on comedy that we were a home for it. And that's when I knew things were going to work out. I, I knew, I knew that was such a marker of success. And truthfully, we dined off Mystery Science Theater 3000 for the first six months because <laughs> we didn't have a whole lot else.
0: <laughs> right. Well, that, we,
1: we went everywhere and said, hey, we got a hit. And, you know, to a certain extent it was.
0: That show was a, uh, remarkably influential and it made cult classics out of movies that nobody would have ever really even known were, were around. Any. I mean, I had a, a woman who was on the show who was proud that her father and they wear it as a badge of honor, the worst movie ever. And it was, it's only known because it was featured on that show. Uh, it was, plan, that, is that
1: plan nine from outer space?
0: No, it's Thanos, the hands of, uh, death or something. Thanos. It's, a, uh, one of the first movies, uh, there's Ever. so many. Yeah, but Actually, it, yeah. it really is bad. Guess, guess, who had
1: to, <laughs> guess, guess who was in charge of finding movies for those guys?
0: Uh, not, yeah.
1: You know what? And it wasn't easy. The reason, this is a little known fact, when, when they originally produced Mystery Science Theater 3000 at that small station, what they would do is they'd pull movies off the shelf. Right. You know, so they had real movies, movies that were made in the last five years. They'd be putting those in, doing those. Now, of course- You can't do it like a Coppola movie, a Francis Ford Coppola movie, and make remarks in front of it because there's all kinds of copyright issues, right? Right. Plus, Francis Ford would sue the pants off you. So we said, look, you can't do that. So we're going to have to find movies that are in the public domain, meaning nobody owns them anymore, no copyright. So we had to find not only the movies, but the ones that we can find decent prints of, you know? and there there were lots of them they were 1950s movies that people hadn't renewed the copyright on and we found them but man those guys were picky it wasn't like i could just throw any movie at them and they'd say okay we'll do this one right they they, they would take like one out of six or seven and say we're going to do this one and it was crazy the kind of movies we were looking at <laughs> yeah.
0: it, it's uh yeah it's it's tough to find the ones that you can really make funny i mean there's obviously funny things about all of them but to add the right commentary and all that stuff it, it's it's a, oh, challenge. it's a lot of work it's yeah. a
1: lot of work it was not ad libbed i know it looked ad libbed by the uh so you know, when you watched it but
0: we're talking uh early 90s now and yep. you grew up i guess probably around the same era that i did with uh television uh like lenny bruce and bill cosby and and then those guys are on, on 60 television and i know a- alan king is mentioned in the book and he was a favorite of mine too but a whole different brand of comedy so by 1990 uh, is it occurring to you uh that the landscaping of comedy in general is changing, especially when it comes to stand up uh comedy uh, did you notice uh any particular trends in or or ways in which the uh industry of comedy was changing?
1: well you know you bring up the sixties, and that's a good point. I think the sixties was kind of like a golden age of comedy because we emerged from the Bob Hope Jack Benny you know here. take my wife, please kind of stuff. Right. Well, that was Henny Youngman. Anyway, um, <laughs> yeah. you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, one, note, written one line, yeah. joke, one nope, line. nothing personal. You know, right. nothing about yourself. Right. Lenny Bruce showed up, and that was in the early '60s, and he started doing confessional stuff. He got on stage, and not only was he talking about things that nobody ever talked about or could talk about, he talked about his own life and his life as a junkie and his trials and all the things he were going he was going through, and he made it funny to the extent you can make that funny people loved it although he got arrested on stage like hundreds of times as you know right that was I think a pretty big turning point um was he the absolute first that did that no but he yeah. was one he was one of the more notorious guys who did that you also had Mar- Mortzah coming on the scene doing political comedy in a in a way that hadn't been done before so you know there were a lot of changes in the 60s yeah the the way comedy got out there record albums I mean you had party albums in the old days. I used to listen to my parents Red Fox album which was extremely filthy. Me too. <laughs> before I before I knew what filthy was, you know? I know, what I'm saying? I know. yes. But but then you know you had the albums like you know the Car- George Carlin's great albums you had Robert Klein you had Bill Cosby you know and we listened to those things over and over that's I, we used to do the routines my brothers and I used to talk like those guys like with their inflection all the yeah. time because we heard them so much and we loved them so much and then you know you ask to answer your question did it get different in uh, in the late eighties. I think the difference was we saw really the rise of of stand-up clubs. Right. You know, stand-up clubs through the 80s started really proliferating. It wasn't just in the big cities, but you went, you know, at that point you went into any Holiday Inn and they had a a mic set up and an open mic night. You know, there were comedians all over the place. Belzer, I I quote Belzer in my book, something he said in Rolling Stone Magazine, I think it was in 1987, he said, you know, in the old days, kids used to um, watch TV, uh, MTV and want to become rock stars. He says now they're watching comedians and listening to comedians, and they want to be comedians. They want to yes. be stand-up comics. So Caroline's, Caroline's in uh, comedy club in New York, Catch a Rising Star, all the clubs, you know, the uh, in uh, uh, the Comedy Cellar, Comedy Store, all those clubs, they were just like booming at that point. And right. that's where a lot of the comedians we saw in the 90s and beyond cut their teeth i mean seinfeld you know he was right. working the clubs
0: yeah and and the comedy store in la of course is a was a huge i mean if you look at the people who came through there who are now household names and uh just known by everybody curiously enough uh, i was watching brendan Walsh's podcast a couple of days ago doing prank calls and they called somebody at uh some store and the person answered the phone he said he had david letterman there and he had some guy impersonating david letterman and it, the, the guy did a really really good impersonation of david letterman but the, the woman he's never heard of david letterman this is a 30, 30 year old woman who never heard of david letterman and then she put her manager on the phone and he didn't know who david letterman was too i was like man what, a, what? i'm i'm shocked now we're, did, we're, Le- did
2: letterman
1: call in at that point and say what not? <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, the, going on here? The, the guy who was impersonating him did a very good job of, of, of well, how Indignant, you would perceive yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. um you know so,
1: i i have to take the opportunity to mention we're doing a podcast my friend uh vinnie favalli and i Vinny worked with letterman for 15 years he was the executive in charge of the show wow and yeah i know and his stories are fantastic yeah we're doing so a podcast
0: w- when are you starting that
1: um it started yesterday, actually, on the anniversary. We we decided to do the podcast called the Constant Comedy Podcast, uh, named after my book. We decided to do it because we wanted to, you know, talk to people who worked there in the, in the old days, you know, at the beginning, and at Comedy Channel and Comedy Central. Because as I said, it was an explosion of creativity, and some of those people went on to brilliant career. Not some, all of them. We we talked to somebody who was the head of Paramount Pictures. We she. Had her first television job at the Comedy Channel. She went on to be the, become the head of Fox Broadcasting. I mean, these people did incredible things.
0: Yeah, everybody everybody advanced except me. Um, <laughs> but so and I'm
1: here talking to you. So you there know, you
0: go. Yeah, I for <laughs> you. Uh, so in mid '90s, were you still there in uh, say '95 to '97, '98? In that period, were you still at Comedy Central? I, I left around '96. Okay, I left
1: just about the time that uh, South Park showed up.
0: South Park was was the first huge mega hit, or was The Daily Show? Uh, well, before The Daily that? Show
1: was cooking by then. The Daily Show was cooking, but you know, mega hit. Yeah, South Park went on to you know become a cultural icon overnight, right. practically. Um, I was there when it came in the door. Another one that came in the door. Yeah, um, those guys. I'm sure you heard the story. They they sent a Christmas card around. To all the networks, and the Christmas card was, you know, the South Park kids just doing the most blasphemous <laughs> send-up of Christmas. You know, Jesus Christ is back, and he's angry or confused, and and just the language and the and the blaspheme and the, they tore all the religions apart. They made up new religions, tore those apart. I mean, it was really crazy. Um, and uh, and we got it. You know, we were we were very excited.
0: The thing that that confuses me here now, uh, and it confused me then. I should say now, no longer I'm uh, really give much thought to it. But I used to watch Comedy Central in those days and noticed that there was bleeping. During the day of, uh, you know, stuff that I would see at night. Like, I'd see a comedy special by a comedian, stand up special, and they'd air it without the bleeping, uncensored. Then, if I saw it in the daytime at like noon, uh, there would be bleeping on it. And then you had. Um, shows like South Park that seemed to have no censorship at all. So I was always confused about where the line of censorship was. And because it was on cable, why not have the, you know, four-letter words, occasional, unless it would be like a, a raw, Eddie Murphy raw, which was just like complete four-letter words. So I, I could see how that might ruffle some feathers during the day. But what, what was the line about w- where language w- would be allowed and not allowed?
1: Well, it was it was kind of um we didn't have network sensors we had me at, at some point saying you know we got to bleep this during the day we don't have to at night and and the reason for the difference was or should be obvious because you had kids watching during the day and you didn't want their moms or the cable operators more to the point seeing some of this and said look i can't I can't put that out during the day because there's you know it's not that's not the audience work you know and and the later you got at night the more you could kind of step out that was the thinking anyway but as time went by cable really kind of loosened up in those days it wasn't that loose because we had to worry about the cable operators and of course we had advertising and you know the advertisement the advertisers weren't thrilled about being in shows that were uh you know using dirty words or blasphemy or whatever
0: so when you look back, because you mentioned L- Lanny Bruce, and I, I, my immediate thought is uh, because I've been thinking about it so much lately is this comedians complaining about uh, and, and whether they're right or wrong, cancel culture. And I always say, you know what? Like it's something new, and I, you might have uh, gotten canceled from a whatever t- television show, whatever network. But Lenny Bruce actually went to jail for saying things. Yeah. So when, yeah. we, when we're complaining about how bad things are now with censorship, I think we lose some perspective of people like Lenny Bruce and Jim Morrison, anybody from that era that actually went to jail for, uh, you know, First Amendment violations, <laughs> you know, really. I know. So,
1: uh, yeah, you know what? And it, it, But what it, it has in common with today is the comedians today, as they always have, um, certainly in the last – 40 or 50 years, they step up to the line and they cross the line. That's kind of part of their job, you know, to push the boundaries a little bit, to make people a little bit uncomfortable and to make them laugh and to talk about important things. I mean, I use as an example, the the rise of women comedians over the last 30 years. And the fact that, uh, you know, women comedians really gave us a good look at what it was like to be a woman in America in a funny way, I mean, without writing an essay about it, right? Because who's going to read an essay? But there they were talking about the women's women's experience in America. And it was very, I think it was instrumental in the Me Too movement. I think it was instrumental in, you know, really opening people's eyes to what women go through. Um, I saw Richard Pryor on Ed Sullivan when I was a kid, his first appearance. And he was talking about being a black kid in Peoria, Illinois, Illinois getting beat up on the playground. Right. And I was laughing like crazy. And then I stopped laughing. And I thought, man, this kid's life was tough.
2: Right.
1: You know, and that's what he was really saying. But he was coding it in comedy. And that's really part of what's great about comedy. Because it gets us to see the world through the eyes of someone who can get away with talking about it in a way that other people can't.
0: And that's what's so dangerous about when we try to censor comedy. You know, I, I, I get that people can be offended and get their feelings hurt. And and nobody wants to do that, but you can't everything you say, I can't say a single word that won't offend anybody. I mean, I could say hello and somebody, (laughs) somebody somewhere is going to get offended. So, but the idea about comedy and its purpose and it's, uh, you know, it's more, more than just to make us laugh. It's to make us think. And I think people forget about that. So my take on that is, um, especially within the confines of something that has a comedy club written on the sign on the wall and there's brick walls all around that say comedy and there's neon lights saying comedy show, comedy show. Anything should be able to go in there. What is your uh, take on it? Do you think there should be lines of where free speech, what can and can't be said within the context of a comedy show?
1: I think you can't incite violence. I think that's, you know, that's a bad line to cross. Right. Um and I think that beyond that comedians I mean they're they're not stupid they they sense the audience and they do what they have to but the idea that they can you know have to stay away from talking about certain subjects is ridiculous. Right. Um if people are offended in the old days if people were offended they'd stand up and walk out or right. probably didn't even do that. They'd order another drink and whisper to their date. But um <laughs> you know now to say look you can't say that for whatever reason that's that's not a good thing you know but i'm politically incorrect which we put on television on comedy central in 1992 bill moore pitched us a show politically incorrect and he said it just the way i said it he said i want a show that gets us in trouble i want a show that goes up to the line and crosses the line and we bought we said great because that's what comedy did and we did get in trouble and bill did get in trouble he got in trouble when he got thrown off the air off the network after he left us for making a joke about, I guess it was about 9-11, or saying something about it. Right. And uh, he went to HBO, so, you know, you figure it out. <laughs> um, th- there is a place for every conversation. Yeah, comedians can be offensive I- in their acts. I mean, you know, if they're offensive outside of their acts, see also Cosby, comma, Bill... You know, that's a whole different kettle of fish. But well,
0: you know, the the Cosby thing is a little bit hypocritical, and I'm not saying what and I'm not defending him in any way. But the, I know a lot of people, a lot of guys who uh, used quaaludes and and gave girls quaaludes and got them drunk I, when I went to high school, the idea was every guy said you, you know you got to get it drunk first you got to get it loosened up first and that and so uh, the idea of drugging women for sex while it 's a terrible idea and built you know people again i 'm not defending him, but it was what he grew up with it 's what he know, knew it was part of the culture he grew up in. And I think that needs to be taken into account. Yes, it was wrong. Yes, he needs to be held accountable for it. But I think people need to realize that he was—it's not Satan. He—he he grew up in a culture where that was—that was hip. That was the idea. You know, you get a woman drunk, slipper a Mickey. They used to say. Um, yeah. it, it was wrong times. It was—we were all indictable. Uh, you know, in in that. I don't know about you, but I I
2: didn't even cult
0: date. culture. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah anyway, I definitely no, agree. no,
1: it's a, it, that's that. You know, again. We could argue about whether and what and when and all the other kind of stuff. But, you know, I tell my kids, you treat women like they're your sisters. You know, I mean, you you can't, don't, don't. And if you see women being abused in any way, you do something about it. That's what should have been done in those days. And to the extent that people were doing it or overdoing it in the case of uh, Bill Cosby. And it breaks my heart because I love the guy. Right. um, As did America. But, you know, at some point you got to say, that's just wrong, you know? Oh, absolutely. That, well, um, and, and the again, fact that other people did it and didn't get caught didn't make it any less wrong.
0: No, no, that's not what I'm saying either. I no, mean, no, I, I, know, yeah. I know, I
1: know. We're not arguing. We're in violent agreement, I think. Right,
0: right, yeah. Uh, but to your point about women in, in comedy, I think it's still it's still perceived as an, a, a boys' game, an all-boys' club type of thing, although there are some great uh, female comedians out there. I talk to a lot of comedians, and and almost exclusively guys, I would say exclusively guys. And I'm trying to get some, you got to change that. I'm That's trying mad. to You gotta move on. I, I asked any letterman. I haven't gotten a response yet. So, but, uh, I think a lot of guys still have this attitude. I, I know Norm Macdonald doesn't, you know, still on top of the comedy world. He has this idea or the perception that women can't be funny. And, uh, I could tell you, you know, last few times I have been to a comedy club when comedy clubs were still open. Uh, the, the funniest acts on the bill when we were there with my, my wife were women generally. Uh, so I think it it's changed, but the perception is still there and I want to get some on on the show, but, uh, do you, you think it's changed enough that there are enough women making breakthroughs?
1: I'm not sure that's the same perception. I mean, you're right in the early nineties. I mean, Christopher Hitchens wrote in, in one of his books, um, that the reason women aren't funny is because they didn't have the same obligation to be funny that men have in, and men need to be funny in order to attract women. He didn't say it quite that way, but I'm being genteel here. Yeah. So that was part of that conversation. The other part was, I think, you know, Saturday Night Live, Belushi. I mean, we had a head writer at uh, at Comedy Central, uh, Comedy Channel, rather, his name is Eddie and He said, women can't be funny. And and it, it's patently untrue, right? You know, it's just completely untrue. First of all, you're looking at a guy who liked women who were funny. I like to date women who are funny. You know, I like I married someone who I thought was funny. I, I, I so the idea that women can't be funny. Now, in in the in the previous thirty years, uh, we've seen more women in the writers' rooms, which I think has been great. We've seen, um, we've certainly seen um, more w- women comedians. Sorry, I got something in my eye. Um, Happened. um and uh, and I think that's that's all to the good. And I think you know, you mentioned Nor Macdonald. I think that kind of comment or feeling is less pervasive these days, even in the world of comedy. First of all, it's politically incorrect to say it.
0: Right.
1: Um, some you might get slugged by a woman sitting next to you at that point. So, you know what I mean
0: um somebody in the uh, one of the cra- chat room said we literally just got back from a miss pat show 45 minutes ago she's hysterical yeah i really. I, I i'm ashamed to say i'm not i'm not familiar with that <laughs> but anyway it exists uh, uh- yeah <laughs> um but but to about that stuff though in the me too movement i know there's still a strong feeling among female comedians that they are um um victimized being victimized and uh, i know this because uh, i'm on twitter and uh, i just asking uh, jen kirkman who's a female comedian put out something about uh some the latest me too thing comedian guys who was uh making it tough for waitresses and and other comedians uh, and female comedians generally to get work or get stage time get mic time and i just asked who and I became the enemy. It's like, yeah, what are you even asking who for? What difference does it make? They're all, and uh, all of a sudden, we're enemies because I asked who. But I know a lot of female comedians rallied around her to, to kind of on that point. So I think they, on the, on the female side of it, even if the guys are, are losing that perspective that it's an all boys club, I think the women still have that perspective that they're, uh, they're being kept down, kept, kept out of it.
1: Listen, I, you know. Let me say it this way, and I, you know, I don't know, I don't know you, Matt, so I don't know what your feelings are. I think women have had a raw deal throughout history. Okay, yeah, yeah I agree. Just let's let's generalize there, okay?
0: Except for Eve, she had it pretty good. Who's that? Eve, Eve? Yeah. Cleopatra. <laughs>
1: all, right, all right, but you know what I mean. I mean, yeah. on the whole, women have been kept down, and I, I say this as a man by men. You know, and you know why? I think this is my theory. Women are smarter and better able to handle things. I leave so much (laughs) to my wife that I won't even touch, you know, honest to God. And I am, I am sure that women, and maybe I'll get a lot of hate mail for this. Women are the superior gender. They are, they're better at it. They're better at whatever it is. Um, and, uh, yeah, they've been kept down for years. I, I think it's terrible. So, when when women comedians complain, they're not they're not doing it because they're trying to be argumentative. They're doing it because they feel it.
0: Right, I get it. No, I I agree, and especially on that idea of and it started. It didn't start, but it got some real big energy when some uh, famous comedians were talking about how they used uh, the power of mic time and stage time to get sex from women and all of a sudden you know uh it became more stories kept coming out of the woodwork about it and and so they have a right to be upset about that i mean stage it's not equal opportunity if you have to, if you have to you know give up your dignity to get some stage time if you based on your gender so i agree with you completely
1: because you know women are interrupted by men like three to one they found yeah. out Men just interrupt women, they talk right over them. Yep. And the other day, the other day I was at a meeting because I'm on a board of a nonprofit. And a woman interrupted me and she said, I'm sorry, That's just what I do. I, I interrupt and I say, Hey, it's refreshing to be interrupted by a woman. I feel good about. It. <laughs> but it was a funny moment because she's right. You know, women get talked over all the time in boardrooms in 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 everywhere and yeah. it's not
0: you know it's not nice so something happened right after you left comedy because you say i <laughs> uh, you left at 96 i was at Cablevision in 97 and we uh cable at that time bought the whiz you are familiar with the whiz everybody loves the whiz in new york I city familiar with the Wiz. <laughs> yeah they bought the whiz and they thought it would be a good idea t- and to bump uh what they had some deal with Comedy Central to kind of uh, promote them, and they wanted to put stand-up comedians, and they did put stand-up comedians in the Whiz at lunchtime on Thursday afternoons, and I, I was in charge of uh, having the. uh, produced, video produced for it and packaged, we never got to air but the idea was they were just going to be doing stand-up in a retail store while people were walking around
1: How'd that work and out?
0: I, I've, I, like I predicted, like, like people predicted the comedy, <laughs> your idea would work out, uh, except they were wrong in your case, I'm, in my case we were completely right, like this is just going to be a disaster, <laughs> nobody's going to pay attention to the comedians, you're not going to get any good comedians after one shot because they're going to go back and tell other comedians, that's one gig not worth taking no matter how much it pays and all that stuff. Uh, so did you, I, I know it's, it's easy to, when when you walk away from something that you built and you're proud of, uh, do, do you think it it carried up the brand to your satisfaction after you left?
1: <laughs> you know something, I look at all the stuff that Comedy Central did. Remember, I said I wanted it to be, I, w- I really wanted it to be a showcase for comedy because I loved comedy. It's 30 years old yesterday, I mean, Comedy Central. And I couldn't be prouder, you know. I mean, to have built something, to have, to have been part of the beginning of that whole edifice that gave us so many, you know, that that, that started so many comedy careers that, that did so much innovative comedy that gave us things that wouldn't have otherwise, as I said, wouldn't have otherwise gotten on the air.
0: Right. Well, I'm I- very
1: proud of that. It, I, I can't imagine... How it could have gotten any better
0: i want to ask about because part of the title it leaves me curious now because you left in 96 again here's the book it says it's constant comedy uh how i started comedy central and lost my sense of humor now is that why you left you lost your sense of humor and how how did it make you lose your sense of humor that's the. you know what
1: first let me tell you um what the, what that subtitle is about. First of all, it's a memoir. So I tell the story from my point of view, it's my recollections and it's very personal. You know, I turn myself inside out because that's what you have to do when you're writing memoir. The, the reason I say I lost my sense of humor, it it really refers to a meeting I had with Michael Fuchs three months after comedy channel launched. He called me in. He was not happy. He said, you know, Art, it took a comedy channel to get me to lose my sense of humor (laughs) And he wasn't laughing, and I wasn't laughing, and nobody was laughing. You know what I'm saying? Things <laughs> yes. were going south, fast. And and that's what it was. I just wanted, and, and by that sometime I wanted to indicate to people that Comedy Central was not shot out of a cannon, fully formed, wildly successful, comedians, everybody loved it. Uh-uh. I went to work every day the first year wondering if th- if we were going to, you know, be shut down that day. That's how bad things were. And and it took a long time to put it together. The second question: Why did I leave? I got fired.
0: Oh, uh, did did you do something wrong to get fired, or (laughs) you you got fired just because things weren't uh, numbers weren't adding up at the time? It was just a bad cycle. No,
1: it was kind of neither. I got fired because. Um, my boss, who is the president of Comedy Central, was a financial guy. He got fired. They wanted to bring in somebody who knew more about comedy and entertainment, which they did. And the guy came in and fired everybody else. Um, and what he said to me when he fired me, and to be fair, he kept me on for like six months, hoping I'd leave, <laughs> but I didn't. Um, Because I felt personally, you know, connected to the channel. But he called me in and he said, you know, Art, I can't keep you here. You got your fingerprints all over the channel. And that's because I did. You know, I'd I'd worked there for the first eight years and I'd been involved in almost everything, putting it together. Uh, And and, uh, the new management wanted to start fresh and they didn't need me hanging around. Not that I would have been throwing rocks from the sidelines, but, you know, it just wasn't part of the plan. Right. So, and that was a lesson to me. You said, it's interesting. You said, did you do something wrong? Up until that time, I thought people who got fired, got fired because they screwed up. Right. They did something wrong. They didn't show up for work. They made a pass at the boss's wife, whatever it was. Not true.
0: Yeah. Restructuring. Or I, I know restructuring. Not true. You know what?
1: And I, I'll tell you something. It, it was, it was a devastating blow. But I pulled myself together and I went to visit some other, you know, powerful people in the industry to talk to him about it. And one guy, he was the head of a record company, said, you know what, if you don't get fired once in a while in the entertainment business, it means you're, you know, not making enough noise. He right. says it happens to all of us. And this was a guy who got fired, you know, a couple of times himself. It just happens in the right. entertainment business. As a matter of fact, in my book, people read the book and they say, you know what was crazy about it? Everybody kept getting fired. <laughs> I said, "Yeah, that was kind of crazy, but that's the entertainment
0: business." Right. Uh, so when you left and went to Court TV, uh, first of all, did, was there a a, a lot of because you lost your sense of or, you, or Michael Fuchs lost his sense of humor, and that caused. I, I didn't be- really.
1: I, I, you know, I, again, you lose your sense of humor for minutes at a time. I, you know, you gotta, you gotta keep it throughout.
0: Was uh, there but, enough comedy in the environment? To, like, Were you in touch with actual comedy, or were you just doing a job for a network that featured comedy? I mean, was comedy in your life before you left? <laughs> left you mean
1: comedy. At, comedy, at Comedy Central? Yeah. Oh, yeah, we were working with funny people all the time. As a matter of fact, when I well certainly when i was in programming we were dealing with comedians and talent comedy writers all the time that was fun uh and they were funny mostly i do tell a story about bill moore that's not so funny um because (laughs) he got mad at me once and maybe rightfully so but we had kind of a fight it's a good story you should check it out but anyway um for the most part you know it was fun dealing with the comedians but even dealing with the writers, even when I went, I, when, when I was sent to purgatory, when the new management came in, they put me in charge of, they said, okay, you're new business development. I was one guy. I hired Vinny, the other guy, right? Um, <laughs> Vinny comes in to new, because he had been fired too. He comes in and we put together the first website for Comedy Central and we hired a funny guy from radio, a guy named Dr. Dave Colan, who was a radio personality who did impressions and voices and very funny guy. And we put um, we put the first website together. It was very funny, and uh, and we did a book. We got a book out based on the website. And the guy who ultimately fired me came down one day and he said, "Man, I just read this book. It's fantastic. You guys are doing such interesting things down here. You guys are doing great. Good for you." Then he fired me two weeks later.
0: You know, it's like, <laughs>
1: but we had fun. And that's what I that's what I want to point out. Even well, that that's Even exactly in the, the last round, I was having fun.
0: That's the point I was getting to. So you go to the comedy uh, to Court TV after that. Did you miss that? Because Court TV has got to be very sobering after being in the Comedy Channel for very serious. <laughs> yeah, very so, serious. So was that how was that a huge adjustment for you, or or did you just handle like?
1: <laughs> Here's the secret. I was hired by the guy he was he was the chairman i was the president he hired me he's one of the funniest guys i've ever known in my life he worked at hbo his name was henry Schleif. he's still around um and we laughed so much over those eight years at at uh at court tv you cannot believe it it was the funniest (laughs) time of my life and yes i think it was funnier because we were surrounded by journalists and they weren't doing any laughing. Let me tell you, it was, it was a little more serious. As a matter of fact, I had to really kind of learn journalism, learn documentary, all that stuff. This was all new to me. And I love learning new stuff. So it was fascinating. I loved working at Court TV. I loved working with the doc, documentary filmmakers. I loved talking about crime and justice. I loved talking to the detectives. I mean, this was interesting stuff. But did we laugh? We laughed plenty. Don't kid yourself. We had
0: okay. a- It's
1: television. We had fun.
0: Good, good for you. Uh, just, uh, I, and we're coming up on the hour here, so um, just at ninety five, ninety six, when you left, that was the time when broadband was taking over and content on the internet started to really take off. And I know uh, that's the, the time I was at Cablevision. We started uh, adding Comedy Central just to show off what broadband, uh, what what the reason people would want to have broadband for. And so that period gave birth to where we are today where comedians in general every comedian has a podcaster and they're doing it for a couple of reasons uh COVID, of course has gotten a lot more people on board with it because they have no venue to operate in but they want to take ownership of their content and so uh do you have a crystal ball where the comedy uh you know where comedy is headed in the future big changes in the industry how it's delivered any of that stuff beyond you know guys just doing podcasts which are not necessarily interviews like this it's more just two comedians or three comedians who are, are big-name comedians just hanging out, just talking, you know, bs for an hour or so. It's not an interview. Uh, where do you think the, the future of comedy lies?
1: Well, I try not to make uh, predictions, especially about the future. I think that it's hard to tell where it's going to go. I think, I think the Zoom revolution has certainly given comedians, if nothing else, another platform, because yes. the old platforms are going to come back. You know, they're not, they're, they're not gone forever. Um, comedy is everywhere now, you know. TikTok, we're getting comedy on YouTube, TikTok, podcasts. you mentioned. I mean, there's funny people all over the place because funny people have to be funny. That's part of being human. And now the whole world's a stage because of the Internet. Right. Some of the greatest talent is coming up through, uh, you know, through digital stuff, as you know. I I just, you know, I I, I just marvel at at how the comedy business is growing more than anything else and how more and more people see that as an opportunity to be in the entertainment business without too much trouble.
0: Right. And I think it's a lot like the music business in that now that anybody can self-publish and and, or, you know, uh, put themselves out there, we see a lot more content so it's a little harder to find the good stuff the go- the gold is, is you have to dig a little deeper for the gold but it's still there i think a lot of people get caught up in that idea that uh everything is garbage when there's too much stuff it, it's just no this. and
1: you have great brands out there comedy brands and of which comedy central is one and they are a place to look if you, want to, if you want to know where to find comedy.
0: Right. So I've had the URL going across the bottom of the street, uh, screen, artbellwriter.com, is where you can get the book. And there's also a direct link to the Amazon Amazon and the other two uh, outlets that have the book right now. Uh, you can uh, click the links and make it easy for you. You don't have to search around. Or just go to artbell.com writer.com for the people on the audio side art bell writer all one word uh and dot com uh art it's been a pleasure that uh, one more time let's show the book and read the title it's constant comedy uh how i started comedy central and lost my sense of humor by art bell and there's a podcast out by the same name now the podcast launched yesterday so it's up and available now right
1: yeah right uh, wherever you get your podcast it's the constant comedy podcast with art bell and vinnie Favali. And it's been fun. We're having Good. a lot of fun.
0: Is it going to be a, a weekly thing?
1: It's going to be a weekly thing,
0: yeah. Uh, great. We look forward to that. All right. thank you so much for your time here. I Matt, appreciate it's been your a pleasure. Thank you. Thanks. Bye for now. Art Bell, folks, uh, great stuff there. If you're interested in comedy, uh, and especially if you're interested in television and how uh, some of the... Uh, Backstory of television works and and what it's like working in network television or uh, cable television. Uh, great read. Um, I've <laughs> honestly I've only read four chapters five chapters prologue and five chapters i believe in the epilogue uh i will get the book and and finish the book and i urge you to it's artbellwriter.com appreciate you spending some time with us tonight we don't have a show this weekend i'm off doing performing this weekend uh monday i will be back uh monday at 8 p.m with gary paul corcoran uh who's going to be uh talking about his latest book uh, the Twelfth Commandment. Uh, and so uh, join me then, 8 p.m. Eastern Monday. Uh, and until then, I'm Matt Apple for the Mind Dog TV Podcast. Have, thanks for coming. Have a great rest of your night. Bye for now. And I need a new pair of lips.
2: Listen to me now. Listen to me, listen to me, listen to me now.